And uh, we are being reminded, and not only by those that have shared this morning, that's a great reminder, but Father, how you directly remind us throughout the week, day by day, of the glorious work of redemption accomplished once and for all through our Lord Jesus and then delivered to us very directly and personally by the removal of our blindness on occasions and uh, the uh, the power of God's word, of your word, Father, in our lives, changing our hearts. So, Father, we're so thankful for that. Thank you that your grace is that powerful. It really is. And that sufficient. Uh, it always is uh, sufficient, as we've learned uh, from Paul's own testimony. So, Father, thank you for continuing that great work uh, in us and in many. Of course, your work, Father, is in countless hearts, and we know nearly none of them, just so few, really, that you've brought into our lives. Um, but that number is so great. <laughs> I think of Elijah, of course. He thought he was the only one, but there were actually and Father God, you knew exactly how many there were 7,000 uh, at that time that he didn't know about. So thank you, Father, for your great, great work. We're thankful, Father, for opening the eyes, uh, as we've already said here, um, of all of us at, at some point or other, and then continuing to do that because once having our eyes open, we, it's so easy to close them again, right? And the affairs of the world come in upon us and of family and friends. Uh, the power of that is often very, very irresistible. And we find ourselves le leading or being led astray and maybe even leading others for a time in a way they shouldn't go, Father. So we do uh, confess that. But, uh, Father, please give us understanding of the depth of, of blindness that still exists on the hearts um, of uh, your people and we ourselves. And uh, may we have that lifted, Father, as we open your word uh, often. And here, as we're gathered together today, Pray for our president, Father, that you'd guide and direct and lead. And uh, decisions that must be made every day are surely very difficult from a human point of view. And, uh, Father, we read much of others uh, who were in that situation and had to make such hard decisions, and yet they did. And the consequences sometimes were so dramatic. Uh, and, uh, Father, we know that the president has great power uh, delegated to him by the people in the Constitution to make such decisions and to guide and lead even in military matters, as well as here in our nation's affairs. So, Father, I just pray that you'd guide and direct and lead he and all those that serve with him, that you'd protect them and that you'd give them guidance and leadership beyond their ability, Father, to guide and lead this nation well. We pray that you draw many in our nation to yourself in these dark days. May they turn aside from the evil and the corruption 
that has so taken over our society and our culture, so much so that it's hard to even see the light shining through uh, that uh, was often there in the past. But, Father, I, I just, uh, we know that you are raising up those that would uh, honor you. So, Father, I just pray for encouragement for all of those and protection. May our nation be delivered from these evils that have overcome it. Father, we look forward to see how you will work and uh, wait on you for that. And may we not be anxious and troubled, but confident, considering your grace and its magnificent blessing. And thank you for this opportunity now to open your word, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Continuing today in Paul's letter to the Philippians, I've been uh, <clears throat> waiting for several months to get to this point. Here, these verses today speak of uh, Paul's continuing witness uh, test and testimony as he's recorded it there in Philippians and now uh, coming to one verse which is extremely strongly worded powerful verse indeed concerning the true enemies of the cross now these words and this kind of language are not commonly heard today when do you hear someone talking about the enemies of the cross even though paul uses those very very words right there right in the chapter philip uh, three of philippians and verse 21 right the enemies of the cross were for him a great uh, issue indeed and worthy of this whole section of this letter. Well, uh, we must take this to heart or we'll surely be led astray because our days and our times are not that different from what uh, Paul faced nearly 2,000 years ago. Um, they're nearly identical, it seems in so many ways. Now, we got to this point in these verses here by spending much time and a great focus on earlier verses there. And I think the one verse that kind of jumped right off the page for me, and since it did, I, I hope it did for you too. We spent so much uh, time on it. But that's verse 9, verse number 9, where Paul speaks of his Constant life focus, and that was on, as verse 9 describes it, his hope to be found in him, as he writes there, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that which is of law, it doesn't have a definite article there, it's not specific, he's not talking only about Moses' law there, but law in general, not having mine own righteousness, which is legal, you could say, but on the contrary, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Um, those words just jump off the page for me and have more so this time through Philippians than ever before. I'm sure you can hear that in my voice. Uh, I, I just find these words to be 
remarkable, just uh, astounding, really, in a sense, that Paul would be taking such a risk. Remember, uh, there were many Judaizers who promoted the law, in that case, Moses' law, but as it had been kind of reinterpreted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Um, they promoted a religious system as given by God. And uh, Paul now, as apostle to the Gentiles, is very strongly teaching concerning grace, right? Not law. In fact, how many times does he say we're not under the law but under grace? In one way or another, it's in, stated a number of times, either directly or by implication, right? So this is a, a, a major theme of Paul's letters if on the level of any other great theme, right? That's found there. So it's all about righteousness, but he says, not my righteousness, which is of law. In other words, Paul was able. I mean, he, he had given uh, much exam, uh, much um, evidence of how many ways that his own righteousness was exceedingly great, right? If measured by law, right? But he says all of that he'd cast aside. It wasn't worthy. It wasn't worthy. He was willing to take a great risk, therefore, in uh, turning aside from it altogether and resting in what he had remaining. Now, if we've done the same as Paul, if we've cast it all aside, he said he counted it, but refuse or dung, worthy to be thrown on the on the uh, garbage heap, right? Whoa, how can he speak so strongly of such things? Uh, but he does. And if we've done the same as he, and have cast aside uh, all of that, right? And I hope we are or have, if we haven't, that we're in the process of doing just that. But if we've done that, where do we stand? What do we have? What do we have left after casting everything aside? And what Paul writes so clearly there in those words, and we've looked at already, is that what we have left is rewards coming at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what we don't have left are all of the blessings that we might have had if we just totally dedicated ourselves uh, the way our human nature demanded, right? You see so many doing so well, right, in so many ways, and uh, believers many times are not, right? Um, and so... It is uh, uh, something risky indeed, as I uh, made a point uh, several uh, lessons back, right? To cast everything upon the Lord and his promise, because he doesn't promise very much for this life, but he does promise persecution and sufferings and trial. And Paul even rejoices in that in these letters, right? And we've looked carefully at that. Okay, so um, in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, uh, and he uses the race analogy, running the race analogy. We've also focused a lot on that, but he says in Philippians 3.12, not as though I had already attained. In other words, he hasn't reached the, the, the goalpost yet or the finish line or the, the, uh, the twine that mar marks the end of the race course, right? 
Uh, he hasn't already attained to that, he says. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So what was certain in Paul's mind already was that he was already bound to Christ and apprehended by him. Now the question was, will I be able to grasp on to this heavenly goal, right, properly? That was the issue of his life. Um, there wasn't a question about whether he'd be resurrected, but whether he would shine forth amidst all those that were living in dead religion, right, whether called Christian or otherwise, right? Uh, that was the uh, the issue before him. And then in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I come not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the analogy of running a race. Paul says, in effect, I... Paul says, I, and uh, also all of you, he says, are really in a lifelong race. Um, and I think this this whole concept is uh, largely missing from the, uh, what, uh, seeker-friendly uh, modern megachurch concept, which is that you become a member of the church and fit into its program, and then that's, and then God is going to just give this incredible blessing to you as a result, right? And that sort of finishes the whole thing up. Uh, and it's a very compartmentalized view of what it is to be a Christian, whereas Paul says, no, uh, our entire lives are to be made out of a whole cloth, right? And we're saved at a certain point, and then we're in a race. And the race is to fully grasp on to the dimensions and magnitude the power and the glory of god's abundant grace and that's what the whole christian life is supposed to be uh, a demonstration of light and darkness a demonstration of what god himself is doing not what we can do for him but what he has done and is doing in us so there's a race to be run, he says, and there's a prize to be won, right? It's looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now I'd like Linda to read uh, these verses that lead directly to the section we're in today at this time. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Would, would you please read those, Linda? Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Thank you, Linda. Okay, so... There's a great variation between believers. Uh, some have already adjusted themselves in their thinking and in their motivation. They're already focused as Paul was, but they're not finished with the race yet. So they're still 
adjustments to be made, others have not yet gotten on board with <laughs> what God is really doing under grace. They're truly saved. I don't think Paul here is saying, oh, some of you aren't truly saved. You need to shape up. You need to repent. You need to do this, do that, bring forth the fruit, and that will constitute your salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. No. Uh, he's not doubting the salvation of anybody, but he is doubting whether even he himself might be properly focused on the goal on the prize because runners in a race must never turn aside that's the sure recipe for failure in any sporting event and many of you are focused on sports not me but <laughs> you know a lot about that <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so uh, it is so he says uh Let's uh, have our mind set correctly. Notice that word mind is used there in that section twice. Okay. This is the constant theme of this letter. Having the mind of Christ Jesus. The mind set, the way of thinking that he had when he left heaven's glory. Remember that from chapter 2. It's most important teaching to be found back there. It sets the stage for everything that follows in this letter. Paul uses the word perfection here. I think we've kind of lost the meaning of that word. Uh, it's, a it's a correct translation of a Greek word. It just means having reached the goal. Now, it's not a word that means there's no uh, tarnishing, no failures, no, uh, no trace of impurity. That's not the point of it. Perfection means having reached a specific goal okay and the goal that he's writing about here has to do with this mindset focused on the race and focused on everything that now must occur in order to reach that end point and that involves giving up so much to receive so much right but much of what we receive will be delayed until that final point right when that race is finally completed, and that will be at the judgment seat of Christ, at the rapture, okay? So what Paul ends up here in, in this uh, verse number 17 with is an exhortation that sort of summarizes it all. He says, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us. For example, okay, so uh, Paul is setting forth himself here. This is his testimony. He says, you need to imitate me very carefully as I imitate Christ. Okay, <laughs> this morning in our uh, early Bible study, <laughs> I noticed a verse that just sort of jumped off the page there, as it were, Uh and that's it. Moses claimed that he couldn't speak for God. He didn't have the capability, right? <laughs> and he said, well, my brother, here we got uh, my brother. He's a very good speaker. And the Lord God uh, certainly agrees with this. Uh, Aaron's a very good speaker. And so <laughs> it actually says there in Exodus uh, chapter 4 that uh, the Lord made Aaron... Moses' spokesperson, right? But Moses had to tell Aaron what to say. 
And it also says one other thing. And he says, Moses will be Aaron's God. He will be your God. Okay. In other words, Aaron has to follow in Moses' footsteps. If he gets off the track, he's in real trouble. <laughs> That's a, a perfect example of what Paul is writing about here. Okay. Uh, Paul isn't God, but he's in the place. He's put in that place as he writes these letters uh, for our edification. Okay. Therefore, we can't turn aside from Paul. And how Pauline the teaching is, is, is the test. Okay. Uh, of the teaching that's valid for today. Okay. So then let's go ahead now. Uh, let me tell you our outline today. And that's that. And everything's here in verses 17 through 21. Paul's imitators are exhorted to have much discernment. <laughs> okay, so it, it, it may seem like a triviality, oh, following Paul is so easy. No, 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 no. There are many enemies <laughs> standing in the path, okay, and they're leading us astray, and they're saying, follow me, don't follow him, Okay. And that's why there's so little focus on Paul today and so much focus on other religious things. Okay, so Paul's imitators are exhorted to have much discernment. Verse 17, then verses 18 and 19. Those minding earthly things should expect perdition. I put that word there. You don't find the word. Well, you do find the word here in this section, but I'll explain what the word means uh, shortly. Those minding earthly things should expect perdition. However, those with a heavenly hope should expect perfection. <laughs> Just the opposite of perdition, perfection, right? Those with a heavenly hope. That should be their expectation. Uh, and then finally, in verse 21, the winners of the great race have a special blessing waiting for them, okay, the winners of the great race have a special blessing waiting for them. It's not something you're going to gain access to for the most part in this life. There'll be uh, hints of it. There'll be foreshadowings, all of that. But the real blessings are yet to come. And that will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And from then on, throughout all eternity, and we've already talked a lot about this, haven't we? So first of all, Paul's imitators are exhorted to have much discernment. Okay, so I'd like that verse to be read again by you, Daniel, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. But are you to followers together of me, not them, which walk so as ye have us for an insult? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, you know, there's a twofold aspect to this exhortation here. It's not just the simple one thing. He's not simply saying, imitate me. He's saying more. He's saying, mark them which walk. So as you have us, for example, in other words, take note of, mark, Sort of straight, strong word, right? Uh, single out as distinctive those that are also doing exactly what I'm exhorting you to do, right? Mark them 
that have us for an example. Okay? And that's talking about discernment. He's saying believers need to have discernment. And why would that be? And how many have it, right? <laughs> this kind of discernment. Because the false teachers are everywhere saying to all of us, follow me. And they're successful. They have mega millions following them. Okay? Who, how could anyone deny that they should be followed? Well, I deny it. Paul denies it. Okay? Well, why do we deny it, though? We have to understand what we're doing here. We can't just sort of pick and choose, find what we like. That's not the goal that Paul sets before us here at all, right? He's saying you need to have proper discernment. You need to understand who you should be following after. And he says to provide the uh, sort of compass so you know which way to look. He says, look at me. Okay, imitate me. Okay, so uh, the confusion of our day is due to the failure to properly examine Paul's testimony as communicated in these letters, right? Now, there's great dispensational significance to this, too, because I think we should, we all have to remember that there were 12 apostles. Christ actually taught them, right, and sent them forth, right? 12 apostles. And there are promises that have to do with the coming kingdom and those 12 apostles. In fact, they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging uh, the church. No, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, right? That's what uh, Christ himself said concerning them. We've looked at this before, so I'm sure it's stuck in your mind somewhere there, but uh, I'm just reminding you of that. So there's great dispensational significance to Paul saying, now follow me as I follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, right? <clears throat> okay, so he's really saying, Christ taught me from heaven's glory concerning the heavenly hope of the church, the body of Christ, and uh, I'm here now telling you what that is all about. And you need now to follow along because what God is doing today, and that, isn't that always the key question? Or what is God doing, right? There's a dispensational significance to Paul's leadership in this. He's teaching us what God is doing today under grace. And that's why there's this big uh, dichotomy revealed by Paul between Law and grace, right? Under the law, God was working according to the law. If you want the proof of that, just look at Israel today, right? They have not received the blessings that God had promised, but they will someday according to Scripture. So God is doing something entirely different today than he has done before. And the church, the body of Christ, is a heavenly organism created out of Jews and Gentiles as if there's no distinction at all between them, right? That was could never be true under law. Always a distinction between Jews and Gentiles under law, right? But not today. Okay, so there's a big, big difference, a dispensationally significant one that Paul is uh, revealing to us in these letters. 
So the crux of the issue here before us is that it's simply it's simply this that we need to be minding, we need to have a mindset that's proper and consistent with what God is doing today. Otherwise, we'll be living in hypocrisy and we'll be confused and we'll be off on a course that cannot lead to glory in the full sense. Yeah, every believer will ultimately be saved and in heaven's glory, right? But Paul is writing about another dimension altogether here. He's writing about the fullness of God's grace and the rewards that are set before us. And he's telling us that we should be like Christ and have his mindset. And remember what his mindset was. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, right? Despised the shame and so forth, right? So there was going to be this time of trial and suffering and burdens and so forth. He did not avoid any of that. He entered fully into it, looking forward to the end point, to what would be accomplished someday. And so it should be for us too. So the heart of the issue is whether we're minding uh, correctly, whether we're thinking, whether our mindset is right, and in, in consistency with what God is truly doing today under grace. Okay, so that's the first point, that um, the imitators, <clears throat> and we're the ones that are called forth to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, they're exhorted to have a lot of discernment and to be very careful how they walk, right? Okay, secondly, those minding earthly things, on the other hand, not heavenly things, but earthly things, they should expect perdition. Okay, verses 18 and 19. Okay, Lisa, would you please read those verses for us? For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Oh, my. <laughs> Notice he says uh, there in verse 18, many. Okay, you see that? And interestingly... <laughs> Uh, the Greek word translated many is the one that we get our, our kind of, uh, um, what, um, common expression, which is derived directly from the Greek, hoi poloi, the hoi poloi, who are they? Or they're the many, right? The word politics comes from this. The majority is the, the many, right? Uh, <clears throat> Politics, this P-O-L, it comes from the Greek word uh, found here, the many, right? The hoi poli, well, who are they? What, what? It's just about everybody, right? And so he's, he's not talking about just a couple of people here. When he says many walk, he's talking about the, the great many, right? They are not grasping on to the essence of God's grace. And... The essence of God's grace is that God sent forth his son to the cross to pay the full penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. There's no more working out of sins 
to be accomplished today uh, in order to establish our righteousness. Therefore, it is the righteousness of Christ that we must stand upon. His finished work, right? He already paid the penalty for your sins and mine, so that we might have his righteousness granted to us freely and imputed to us uh, fully, okay? And so that's the uh, the essence of, of of the cross of Christ. And what he says here is that many are walking, walking, notice that, that word there, not only teaching, they're walking, they're demonstrating, right? Um, and he says, I tell you, even weeping. Paul is so concerned, so very concerned that he's weeping. He doesn't say he's weeping for them. I think that's not quite the point of this. He is weeping for everyone else, right? (laughs) Yes, the false teachers are leading so many astray. And he's weeping for those poor ones those helpless ones, it seems, who are following along in the wrong path after those who are leading them astray, right? He says, I now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, destruction, Here's that word translated perdition elsewhere in in uh, the New Testament, right? Um, it's translated both destruction and uh, perdition a few times uh, in the Bible. Here it's translated destruction, but it's the same word. So I'm using the word perdition out of, out of a uh, similar section in the letter of the Hebrews, right? Where you do find the word perdition. Okay. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, whom earthly things. Verses 18 and 19 have to be taken together, or we'll miss sort of the whole point of this, because what Paul does is he uses some more words. Um, he doesn't simply say, follow me. I mean, he, he's basically saying, uh, those that don't are the enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, of the full uh, merit of what was accomplished on the cross. He's not talking about the piece of wood here. He's not talking about an image that people carry around or put on buildings. No, 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 no. He's talking about what Christ accomplished on that cross okay the cross could have been made out of anything in fact it didn't even have to be a real thing christ could have shed his blood otherwise right it didn't have to be on a cross it's just that that was in fulfillment of scripture right and that's why it had to be that way but then he goes on and he explains he says whose end is and he's going to tell us now exactly what the issue was says many walk this way how do they walk He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Okay, so you see the mind earthly things. They have the wrong mindset. They have the wrong kind of thinking. They're not looking for the glory that will come, the heavenly blessing, right, at all. 
They're seeking something earthly here, something right here in their own experience and leading others to do the same, right? So it's not about casting all those things aside. It's rather, let's focus on those very things. Let's establish our own righteousness, which is according to law. That's what these people are teaching, okay? And that's what they're demonstrating in their walk, he says, okay? So there's a great inconsistency between their teaching and their walk and uh, Paul's. A great inconsistency. It's supposed to be the case that believers can discern the difference. And when they can't, they're in real trouble, right? This word translated destruction here, and the way he he, he uh, frames this is in, in, as the sort of the final point. He says, whose end is, right? Um, there's no avoiding it. When you turn aside from Paul's teaching concerning grace, you end up in a uh, in a swamp, basically, uh, where you're going to be dragged down more and more into the pit. Okay, don't forget Pilgrim, right? Uh, going across the slough of despondency, right? <laughs> you get off the path, you're in real, real trouble. You're just going to sink down. You're going to be captured by by it all, and it's not going to be good, right? It may look good for a time, but it's not going to end up well at all. And so he uses this word that basically means an unraveling, sort of if you've turned aside, everything starts to unravel. It starts to disintegrate. It starts to fall apart. And so destruction is a good word for that. Uh, perdition yeah, it sort of signifies still, even for us who don't know English that well, or especially uh, the way it was spoken and written uh, back in the uh, 17th century, right? Um, we know that there's some really heavy meaning here. The word perdition, it sounds permanent. It sounds like it's eternal, right? And in fact, it will be. There will be an eternal effect of uh, turning aside. So, that's what this is all about here. Um, remember those words where Paul characterized his own his own life earlier, where he says, not my own righteousness, which is of law, but that which is of the faith of Jesus Christ. So everything is called Christian that in many ways is not at all. Okay, at least it's not. Pauline. So their church is built. There's, there are cathedrals built all in the name of Christ, right? How were they built? Well, by stealing money from, from the uh, peasants, right, who had nothing and yet gave up at all, all that they had for the sake of some kind of uh, uh, blessing to come, right? Um, the sacraments, the priestly duties, the rule of authority, all of this established in these organizations uh, promote not the true liberty, which is in Christ, but rather just its opposite, right? So that's where uh, we are there. Now, there's also another verse. Uh, I, I want to just read it because uh, you might wonder, well, what would Paul say if he were writing to the churches today, right? <laughs> what would he say if he were alive today? And I, I think he would write exactly what he wrote to Timothy, 
in that first letter in chapter 6, verse 9, and this is what he wrote, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Hmm. Uh, they that will be rich. And he, he's writing to believers, okay, who have an earthly perspective and not a heavenly one. So they're reorienting everything for success here and now. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Those that will be rich. Hmm. You could put a lot of other words in there. What is it that motivates the most, right, in this life? Put Fill that in for the word rich, right? Uh, not everybody's seeking riches in this life. They're seeking a lot of other things, perhaps, instead, right? But what he's talking about here is carnal interest. What does the flesh uh, demand, right? What does it want? Rather than looking forward with anticipation to heavenly glory and its expected rewards. Okay? And the next verse we want to look at is all about that. So uh, let's go on to see what those with a heavenly hope should expect. So those with an earthly hope, they, they, they should expect perdition, he says. Uh, those with a heavenly hope, what about them? So, uh, Ben, if you'd read for us that great statement in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Well, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ben. So here we're now getting back to that area of purity of motivation, right? What is it that's inspiring us to live the way that we do? We're running a race, he says. What is it that's uh, what is what is it that is energizing us in this race, right? And it's supposed to be heavenly, okay, uh, as opposed to, opposed to earthly. So here he says, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing on the horizon for us is the call, the shout, the voice calling us into heaven where we will meet our Lord in the air. And also all those that have gone before, all the members of the body that have already uh, gone to be with the Lord will be meeting together at that time and then be all taken together into heaven. That's before the tribulation period, of course, as we've already seen in our studies. Okay, but he uses the word conversation here now. Hmm. Now, this is a place where the word definitely changed its meaning dramatically over the last uh, uh, 400 years, right? Uh, conversation was the word back in 1611 when the King James was translated, uh, it 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 spoke of the whole thing, the whole manner of life, but even more. Okay, um, it, it it's a word. And 
And there are other, there's another word also sometimes translated similarly, but in this case, the word speaks of citizenship. Citizenship. What does it mean to say someone possesses citizenship? What it means is that their rights and privileges and responsibilities, okay, that go with being a citizen of a nation, right? In this case, he's saying our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> in other words, we are only aliens and strangers down here. <laughs> okay? And you remember Abraham, he was a great example of that. God sent him forth, left the land of his birth, where he had inheritance and everything else, right? And and said, go out into this other land where you'll have nothing, but I will give it to you later. I'll give it to you someday. I promise, right? But until then, you're going to be an alien and a stranger living in a strange land, right? And uh, that's the way it is for us. Uh, okay, so uh, then you might ask the question, what are the implications of citizenship, right? Hmm. Is it okay to live then just like a, <clears throat> an illegal alien if you're a citizen? Well, see, if we're a citizen of heaven, we need to live like one <laughs> and not as someone who's sort of stealing everything they can get from whoever rightfully owns it, right? And you notice, in, again, Abraham is a good example in that. He, he didn't steal anything from anybody. He paid real money, in that, his case, gold for it, right? Uh uh, even when he didn't really have to, even when somebody said, here, take this as a gift. He said, no, 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 I will pay you for it. Right. And he recognized his uh, in his case, he had a heavenly inheritance. Right. Uh, on this earth, he had to pay his dues. Right. So this kind of brings us down into a very practical area. We live in the world. Our feet are here, but our head are in the in the, in the heavens, as it were. Right. So. What is the expectation for us here? And I think the answer is simple. We're to live differently, right? Does that mean it all comes down to a matter of morality? No, it is so much more than morality, right? Morality, in fact, unbelievers can have excellent morality. Do you not know this, right? In fact, they talk about it all the time. They may be hypocrites right? and are but they certainly promote it probably more than we do, right? They're talking about it all the time, even though they're uh, evil in their hearts, right? For us, the morality is supposed to be fruit that springs forth from the work of God in our hearts. That goes without saying or should, right? And yet we find so many caught up in worldly and carnal things, even to name the name of Christ. What a disgrace, right? I think it might be to be expected, considering that legalism abounds, right? And that only encourages the flesh. Well, let's finish up. This last verse speaks of the winners of the great race and the special blessing waiting for them. And this is to be our motivation, right? Christ will provide everything that he has promised. Charlie, would you please read for us Philippians 3.21? Who shall change our vile body, 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to all things to himself. Okay, thank you, Charlie. Uh, wow. This is a real promise. It's for those successfully running the race, right? Now, you know, and I do also, that every believer, in fact, Paul has written, we saw where he wrote, every man shall have praise of God at that time, right? And everyone will have this vile body replaced with something glorious, right? Everyone. But what Paul is saying here, he's not saying that this is only for some, only a few are going to see this happen, all believers will. It's just that this is the motivation for those that are running the race. He's talk, still talking about that. This is the motivation for those running the race. What are we sacrificing for, right? What do we give up all of our own righteousness for, right? It's for what will come later, right? That's the whole essence of his teaching here. Okay? That at that time, at the judgment seat of Christ, what's to be burned, right? Everything has been devoted to him and the glory of his grace, right? If it's to the contrary, there'll be much smoke and fire, right? And Paul is exhorting us to run this race well. And to do that, we must of course, imitate him. He's showing us how to do it, right? He's showing us what's involved. He's showing it, us what our thinking must be, or we will surely fall short. And so many in his day had turned aside. He implies, I think, that many had grasped on, but then had given up the race. It was just too difficult, right, for them to continue. Many will stop running the race set before them. Will we? Will you? Will I? I mean, and uh, will we be motivated for what's yet ahead the way Christ was, right, for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before us, will we endure the trials of this life, or will we turn aside? Will we drop out? Will we join up with the group who's on the other path? That's the question. Well, I hope and pray that we will run that race well. Praise the Lord for the privilege of doing just that, right? And the great enabling, his grace is powerful. Are there any questions or comments before we close today in prayer? Any questions or comments? Or are you just uh, in awe of the opportunity set before us all? Very inspiring, Jim. A very, very inspiring message. Well, we're really glad you're with us, Lisa. Right. Yeah, well, it is. Paul's letter to the Philippians is so wonderful, isn't it? 
Amen. Yeah. It's so serious, but, but the glorious prospect is so clearly revealed. <laughs> uh, any other comments before we close in prayer today? Okay, well, let's go to the Lord. Our Father, we we are overwhelmed at times considering the implications of our salvation, what it all means, and the way uh, we've been exhorted to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing the full depths and the majesty of it all, and uh, to, to seek out that which is honorable, well-pleasing to you, Father, uh, though it may involve... Uh, much sacrifice indeed it shall we know that we just look to Paul and see that and we know that uh, his testimony was true so father please uh, work in us to create in us the proper desires and the uh, the level of commitment we need and then when we fall short father and Paul says well should be hopeful you're there to support us and to uh, guide us back into the proper path. So, Father, we're also hopeful as a result and look forward, uh, waiting patiently uh, for the glories of your promise to be fully revealed. We listen for that shout, Father, and uh, we love his appearing. So, Father, uh, watch over us all and, and may... Uh, we be a blessing to others. And may we be bold for you, Father, speaking uh, the words of truth with love that all may hear. Praise your name, Heavenly Father. In, in your uh, Son's name, we do ask this. And amen. Yeah.